Welcome to another episode of Techspansive. I am uh, Sean Duberbeck from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Radical Research. Thanks for joining us this week. We are going to dive into a conversation ab- about uh, all the tech happenings. Uh, we uh, saw this week a major lawsuit um, against Facebook. So probably comes as no surprise. There's been rumblings of this now for, for some time. And, uh, and we were wondering when, uh, when it might actually happen. The FTC is suing Facebook to unwind its acquisitions of Instagram and WhatsApp. And, and of course, in recent months, Facebook has been uh, quickly trying to tie them together and to integrate them in ways that would make unbundling them very difficult. Uh, there's a separate lawsuit that's also being brought by 48 state attorney generals to uh, to break these apart. Attorneys, attorneys general, or, uh, <laughs> yeah, attorneys general, attorneys general, yeah. Uh, Ross, what are your thoughts on uh, on Facebook and the great breakup? You know, it, it just seems that uh, this is kind of the other shoe falling after the house uh, report on competitiveness uh, with a lot of the big tech companies. And it feels like they're kind of, you know, lining them all up uh, and, and going, you know, one after another first Google uh, now, uh, now Facebook. Uh, and there's uh, a piece in the journal actually about how, and you know, one, one of the things I've always said has been uh I think it's tough to paint all these companies with the same brush uh, because they are big and powerful in different ways. Uh, and, uh, and, and in the case of Facebook, it's, uh, there's an article in the journal about how difficult it would be to, to unwind uh, Instagram uh, and WhatsApp from, from Facebook. But I think uh, even the more interesting response has been to what extent would this really remedy the situation? Uh, you know, Sean, we've talked a lot of times on the podcast about how important Instagram is to Facebook, particularly among the younger cohort. But it seems to me that removing Instagram uh, would certainly be the heavier blow. Uh, but that would be, you know, kind of like um, amputating a limb. Uh, I, I, that's that's kind of how I would see it. Uh, to me, the, the issue with Facebook is it's, it's a little bit more like the AT&T monopoly of, of the 80s. You know, they're, they're everywhere and they control a key kind of communication medium, even though they're, you know, also kind of a, a media company. Uh, and so to me, the, 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 the better approach would be to break up Facebook into little Facebooks as opposed to just remove Instagram uh, from, uh, from Facebook. I mean, it would, it would certainly be, uh, a, a tough thing for, for Facebook to lose access to Instagram, but of course, you know, <laughs> you know, the day after they would be compelled to do that, what would they do? They would just, you know, start developing a new Instagram clone, uh, or maybe make, try to make a new bid for, uh, Snapchat. Uh, so, so I, I just question, you know, not, not only if, if they can get it done, but even if they could get it done, whether it would really remedy uh, a lot of the the issues around Facebook, I think even if not successful, it does potentially curtail future acquisitions, and so that may uh, change the competitive environment 
uh, moving forward. Um, there have been several articles in New York Times and, and elsewhere that have talked about the great difficulty of actually proving economic harm. And, and I spent some time early in my career at the Department of Justice. So I'm somewhat familiar uh, with that. I, I liked Tim Wu's uh, approach this week. He wrote on Medium about um, what we were what we were getting wrong and what the press was largely getting wrong. And and uh, the second point he makes, I think, is, is an important one that, um, you know, reporting that the government has a duty to prove that Instagram or WhatsApp, absent the merger, would have become a significant competitor. He, he argues, Tim Wu argues, that uh, too many journalists are falling for this assertion and that, uh, and, and Microsoft, ultimately, the case against Microsoft, um, didn't set that as a as the bar because it was essentially too high of a of a bar mm. Mm. Uh, and the, the actual inquiry into what would have happened um, is is not what they're trying to to prove so it will be you know one interesting to see what is is proven who who was harmed and how they were harmed by this uh, but regardless I do think it it sets the tone for uh, future acquisitions by Facebook and even by some of the other larger companies, it will it will make it much more difficult. Uh, we saw also this week that um, the EU filed a lawsuit against Facebook, antitrust lawsuit against Facebook uh, around Oculus. Uh, when they acquired Oculus, they had originally uh, announced that uh, you need not worry in order to use Oculus, you will not have to have a Facebook account. Of course, they uh, changed that later on and made you have a, a Facebook, active Facebook account uh, to access uh, Oculus and to use Oculus. So the EU is, is challenging that. And, and I think there is this uh, theme moving forward that uh, Facebook will have to be extremely cautious and, and weary about anything that they implement or change because it, it uh, because they are so large and because all eyes are on them, anything that they do will be looked at and viewed through the lens of, is this anti-competitive? Are they creating an anti-competitive environment that then will be challenged in court? Even if they don't lose that challenge in court, it still is a, a burden on the company that, the, that they will have to endure. And we saw that in the, you know, in the, in the famous Microsoft case that uh, it, ultimately uh, it was a significant burden on the company that, changed the way the company uh, operated in the, in the years that followed. And uh, Bill Gates blames that inquiry for Microsoft taking its eye off the ball in terms of mobile. So, right. Uh, yeah. the, the Oculus, uh, Oculus issue is an interesting one, I think. The, there has been a lot of uh, branding changes to uh, Oculus and Facebook's VR efforts, uh, shifting a lot of the branding to Facebook. But there really hasn't been a ton of integration into the product yet uh, in terms of social. Uh, nonetheless, even though Oculus is a small fraction of the size of the iOS App Store or Google Play, there has already been some accusations of uh, of unfair influence uh, in terms of control over the store because uh, even even though it's a relatively small industry at this point, fa Facebook really finds itself in a, a leadership position right now in consumer 
VR now that Google has withdrawn most of its offerings from the market. Uh, and Sony, at least at this point, is not really moving forward with VR on its new PlayStation 5. They're simply providing backward compatibility. So uh, given that Facebook improved the resolution and optics of the Quest uh, hands, headset this year while reducing the price uh, by $100, uh, that puts them in relatively good position for the holiday uh, particularly given competitive uh, gaming options uh, like the PS5 and Xbox uh, Series X and Series S are in such short supply and, and so difficult to find at, at retailers. So it could be a, a relatively strong holiday for, for VR for them. I would agree with that, Ross. And I think that um, it, it just points to another market that Facebook has to uh, to watch carefully. To your point, they are becoming the, the market leader. It isn't against the law to be a monopoly. It's just against the law to to abuse those monopoly powers. And I think that is uh, going to cause not only Facebook but all of these companies, uh, all all of these large you know the large tech companies to tread carefully as they uh, as they move forward and and what we see here with facebook is that even if the acquisition is is uh not opposed uh early on it might be opposed later on and so there is um there is that fact that all these companies will have to deal with moving forward uh in, in other news we saw that uh amazon has released a wearable device that um, called the Halo device. Uh, we saw some reviews of it from our friends, Heather Kelly and, and Jeff Fowler at the, the Washington Post, who called it the most um, uh, invasive product yet. Uh, Ross, what's your, uh, your thoughts on the, the new product from Amazon? And you know, Am Amazon has always been one to to kind of test those lines, to find where those lines are and to and try to push out just a little bit further. And uh, it looks like they've done it yet again. This is uh, not Amazon's uh, first wearable product by, by any stretch. I think maybe a month or so ago, we talked about the Echo Loop, which was a, a ring that you wore that provided access to Alexa. It was kind of a, a one-trick pony. Uh, this is uh, in many ways, oh, they, they stopped uh, pursuing that product, by the way, perhaps in part uh, because of Halo. And um, this, uh, this product is you know, kind of ambitious. It's, it's not only about fitness tracking and sleep tracking, but also kind of about emotional well-being. And uh, essentially the key to trying to get at all this information is, uh, is, is to use various kinds of sensors that need to tap into various, uh, you know, biometrics. Um, I, I think one of the issues that some of the reviewers have had with it is that it, uh, it, it, it measures body fat percentage. And apparently the way it does that is uh, <clears throat> by asking you to uh, take a, a photo of yourself that you, you know, might be compromising material were it to uh, make its way uh, out onto the internet. Uh, but, you know, it's not a, a smart scale. It doesn't rely on a smart scale. So that's, uh, that's one way to get at it, I suppose. Uh, 
It, it also has a microphone built into it. So it's doing sure. voice recognition and you essentially train it to recognize your voice. Well, as, as do many Amazon Echo based products and Google, Google products. Uh, right. Uh, but, but in this case, they're putting it on your wrist. And uh, at least for now, they're using it just to assess your, your language, whether it's low right. energy, low energy with uh, less positivity, you know, high energy, uh, whether you're irritated or displeased, and then it's allowing you to kind of see how your tone was throughout the day. So uh, that goes to your point of it, not just tracking your, your health metrics and your movement, but also your uh, potentially your state of mind. Yeah. Your emotional uh, state of mind. And, and this is, this is also, there's also a subscription component uh, attached to this product. So uh, I think it's very much in keeping with a lot of the more experimental products that Amazon has launched over the, the years. Um, you know, given their position retail, they are in a uh, prime position, no pun intended, to uh, get these things out into the market, get consumer feedback. It's a day one edition product so that they're doing a limited uh, release on it. And I think the history of these kinds of products shows that consumers are willing to uh, make some compromises in terms of the data that they share if they feel they are getting the benefit back. And that's probably the real challenge at this point is that particularly early on in this device's life cycle, the benefit isn't there and it might not be there for a while until because it takes time for machine learning and algorithms to not only understand you, but to understand how you're deviating from, from others uh, potentially. So, uh, so that's, that's kind of the bind, I guess, that this product finds it itself in uh, particularly at launch. Yeah. And, and I, I think that was always the, the case that consumers would look at uh, essentially the cost benefit of sharing information versus the, the benefit that they get back. Uh, I do feel like we're probably looking at privacy now more uh, more strongly than we have in the past. And so companies with a, a strong track record there, like the apples of the world, uh, seem to uh, have a little more, instill a little more confidence among consumers, though they're not necessarily doing a lot. Uh, you know, they're not willing to to, to be quite as aggressive as the Amazons are, are of the world. And, and so you get a trade-off there with a, a product that's trying to be aggressive and offer unique features like, like voice analysis and, and tone analysis. Um, but the, to your point, there is a, a trade-off there. Well, App, Apple's always been one to sit back uh, and enter the market when it feels it has a compelling proposition. Uh, this week, of course, we saw it introduce the AirPods Max, uh, their high-end uh, headphones that uh, take the technologies of uh, the AirPods Pro and uh, put them into a full over-the-ear uh, headphone uh, format at uh, $550, which is significantly higher than uh, two of the market leaders from Sony and uh, Bose uh, that were ubiquitous on airplanes for their noise canceling features back when air travel was uh, 
more, more popular. Yeah, yeah, what's that, Ross? What's Endeavor? <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's uh, as you might expect. I would say, you know, in terms of Apple, it's it's kind of um, uh, an aggressive design. I think uh, it really doesn't look like most headphones on the market. It has this unusual concave band uh, that apparently is uh, doing rate rated pretty highly for comfort. Uh, but the ear cups themselves just look, you know, really large and squarish, uh, and uh, they're they're in some attractive colors, I think. But but it's a, it's a big departure from the basic black of the uh, of the Sony and Bose uh, affairs. And look, there are in terms of the price, there are headphones that you can buy for thousands of dollars, uh, but they really do tend to appeal primarily to audiophiles uh, and, and tend not to come from brands with the, the broad uh, appeal and distribution of, of Apple uh, or, those, or those main uh, competitors. So, uh, so we'll see how they do. But, uh, but like Amazon with, um, with its distribution, uh, Apple has distribution too in the Apple stores. And that's exactly where, exactly the, the kind of retailer that attracts uh, customers that that might be uh, good prospects for for this product. Yeah, it's also very heavy, coming yep. in at uh, close to four hundred grams. Right. So it makes it very heavy compared to other noise canceling headphones, and maybe that's one of the reasons why they have uh, waited to release this till now. Uh, if you think about the you know the Air Warriors that tra- who are who are flying all of the time. Uh, they want a light pair of noise canceling headsets. Right. Uh, and, 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 and they don't, they don't fold down quite as well as some of those products either. So. Right. So it's probably more positioned for an at home use, which, which now we're doing a lot more of. So you could see, uh, where that, where they're trying to target that market. It, my, my sense is that noise canceling headphones have not necessarily been selling well, at least the traditional travel variety, they've probably sure. been selling well for at home use and, and especially for yep. homes that have kids where kids are um, seen a lot of discounting on uh, you have seen on, a lot on, of discounting. On, on, on both the Sony and Bose. Yes. Yep. I've seen a lot of, a lot of discounting, which I interpreted as, as uh, weaker sales that the, the gain in sales from students at home hasn't done enough to offset. Yep. offset. So, um, uh, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. I, you know, I think Apple is at this position in their, in their evolution where uh, they, they're a big company and that means they have to produce some hits that can really grow, grow revenue and grow the bottom line. And it's much harder to, to grow a very big uh, company than it is to, to grow a very small company. And, and, so, and a, a, a major style departure from Beats, right? Which was their, their headphone brand uh, since, since the acquisition. So very different styling. Um, you know, if there, if there was any concern about overlap or cannibalization there, there shouldn't be. So, yep. yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, they're definitely positioned to appeal to the quintessential Apple uh, user and you know somebody who's who's on Apple products all day long. Maybe they're right. doing multiple. Uh, you know, online events or online meetings. And so they, they want something that, that isn't in their ear. Yeah, that, that's a good point, Sean. In some ways, they compete more against the Surface headphones than uh, uh, the, uh, the Sony and Bose. But 
Uh, I expect that, uh, and early reviews have been very positive about uh, how good a job they do with spatial audio uh, with movies because Apple has uh, invested a lot in that technology. Well, and speaking of movies, we had an investor conference this week from uh, Disney, four-hour plus uh, investor conference uh, from Disney, where they made a slew of announcements. We thought for this podcast, some of the most interesting announcements came around their plans for uh, Disney Plus and and what they're doing there. Uh, first of all, we saw some very strong news from Disney Plus. As of December 2nd, Disney has 137 million subscribers, uh, comprising uh, about 86.8 million on Disney Plus, 38.8 million on Hulu, and 11.5 million for ESPN Plus. Uh, with that, we saw uh, the release and the announcement of a bundle where Disney will bundle uh, Disney Plus, ES- ESPN Plus, and ad free Hulu for $18.99 uh, a month. Uh, we also saw announcements around changes in their window, windowing plans. Uh, they they have released some movies uh, this year because of uh, because because of COVID, of course, onto uh, Disney Plus in, in, uh, around the time that they would do a theatrical release, and they announced that more of that will be coming that you will be able to uh, stream, for example, the animated fantasy Raya and the Last Dragon the same day it hits theaters for an extra $30. So I think that's a, um, a, a very interesting proposition for Disney. And I think it's actually a very compelling proposition for, I, I know just anecdotally talking to families that they are willing to pay that. Uh, and I think especially in a, a kind of COVID environment where they're looking for something new to do and, and new to engage in and something that brings the family together that uh, Disney will, will probably have some success there. Uh, no plans around some of their Marvel hits that they'll be releasing in 2021. I know those would do very well on, in a, in a uh, zero window streaming opportunity, but uh, you know maybe, maybe they're looking for a higher price point uh, with theaters still largely closed across the country They'll need to do something different uh, around that uh, windowing. Yeah, so uh, Disney already had a bundle of um, Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN. Uh, It's good to see them add the commercial-free option. I I think that's uh, becoming increasingly popular and increasingly the expectation. Um, It also seems that maybe there's an opportunity for them to launch their own music service uh, at this point, uh, because the bundle is starting to look a little bit more like the Apple One bundle, and music is uh, kind of a checkoff item there. Um, You know, when I signed up for Hulu, I got it in a bundle with Spotify, uh, actually. So uh, there's certainly been some some partnerships there, or maybe maybe they could go back to partnering with Spotify, um, but they are certainly capable of launching their, their own stuff there. Uh, the compression of the release window is certainly something we've seen for some time now. Uh, we also saw uh, Warner Media, AT&T's Warner Media, announced that they would be bringing all of their 2021 theatric quote theatrical releases to uh, HBO Max, and uh, there's been some pushback uh, on that from the creative community, uh, Chris Nolan and others, 
uh, concern that uh, you know the, these creators they really want their films to be seen on the large screen. You know that's what they're developed for. That's obviously where they're going to have the greatest emotional impact. Uh, but of course, that's not really feasible right now. Uh, I, I think the concern is that uh, about this maybe becoming the norm once uh, you know a vaccine has uh, been broadly distributed. Um, you know, I think there's understanding that, you know, they would like to keep production going and this is the best way to do it at this point. But, um, you know, they're, they're hoping that people don't get too comfortable uh, with, with this kind of format. Well, and you're going to see friction here between the studios and the, the artists, the directors who want their film to, to be experienced in a certain way. If the economics work for the studio, though, there's going to be a lot of pressure to uh, to shrink that window, and typically movies are coming out six to eight months later on the streaming service than the theatrical release. And and um, to your point, Warner Brothers is shrinking that to zero for 2021, uh, presuming we get wide availability of of um, a vaccine in 2021. The fourth quarter could actually be a, a pretty good time for the movie industry, especially the theater industry if uh, they're open and people are, are feeling like they want to go back into uh, to theaters many of the modern theaters have have changed and evolved you, you know they're smaller rooms and they're uh, by reservation uh, in many instances so it's not like the, the theaters we grew up in that were you know full of full of seats that were first come first serve so uh, you know you could see um, that battle really starting to to rage in the the final quarter of uh, 2021 where the theaters are available, but if the economics have worked, studios will still be in, inclined to do that. Uh, er, earlier this month, Disney actually announced that they were going to close down Radio Disney and Radio Disney Country. They would shut that down in the first quarter. So uh, it seems like they're getting out of the radio business. would be interesting if, Ross, to your point that they uh, – decide to get into streaming and they want to start that from scratch as opposed to trying to transition some of the, some of the radio properties that they had. Uh, it seems like they're, they're kind of moving away from that business after 25 years, but, but maybe, well, you know, historically it's been a very low margin business. So, uh, you know, that's probably the challenge there, but uh, at least as a brand, it would be a good thing to keep around if you were going to, build a streaming service around it as, as Apple did with, uh, with Apple music. So. Yeah. And I think to your point, I mean, App, Apple is continuing to build out their entertainment properties, both in the, the movies and, you know, TV shows and, um, and other content. And this month they're, they're finally launching their exercise and fitness uh, platform. So they're kind of building out a full suite of, of services that you might want to in, engage in and um, it wouldn't surprise me to see Disney do do something similar. So we'll see what uh, Disney they fitness. bring. That could yes, be very Disney. interesting. We're working out with your favorite Marvel superhero. <laughs> I, I mean, people people love people love Disney, right? So sure. you could easily imagine that being a a fitness, especially um, now that you mention it with kids still at home and not getting as much. Um, mm exercise perhaps not engaging in as many group sports as they were in the past 
maybe that's the, the, the key for the future is um, Marvel Fitness. So more, more certainly to come on that. Probably a good place to uh, wrap it up for this week's episode of Techspansive. Again, I am Sean Dubrovac. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubrovac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. Thanks so much for joining us.